It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 214, Governor Gedaliah. The story of Governor Gedaliah is important because he's the last Israelite or Jew to rule Judah from the time of Joshua until now. His placement as governor actually symbolized hope for the nation to be immediately rebirthed, albeit with some serious rebuilding help. Gedaliah was a hope for Israel to start afresh and knew, even in the midst of desolation, that it was not to be. The land needed rest, and the exile was a time of judgment. He's the story of a good man arriving far, far too late. Gedaliah was a man of the royal family. He was kind, he had perspective, and he was humble, yet a bit naive. When Nebuchadnezzar left Jerusalem, he left his general, Nebuzaradan, behind to complete the destruction of Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan found a trustworthy man named Gedaliah, and he appointed him the Babylonian governor of Judah at the Babylonian garrison at Mitzpah. It was at Mitzpah that Nebuchadnezzar had murdered some of the royals, and he fortified the place as his soldiers stood guard. Tens of thousands of his soldiers once camped there, so it became a gathering place of survivors, evacuees, an assembly place for anyone in the local region, even to find work and resources. And at Mitzpah, survivors began to assemble, and a large town began to take form with function and some elements of freedom. So then as Nebuchadnezzar leaves, most of the soldiers go with them, though there's still a garrison there, leaving Mitzpah as um, the one city kind of in the region um, that was supported by Babylon um, and not previously destroyed. Or if it was previously destroyed, it's, it's now a functioning city government, and it becomes the headquarters of the Babylonian government in Judah. Gedaliah was the governor, and Nebuzaradan put him in charge. Here's what Josephus says about him with his relations with Jeremiah as well. Gedaliah was a gentle and righteous man of disposition. He commanded the people that they should cultivate the ground and pay an appointed tribute to the king. It was Nebuzaradan that also took Jeremiah and the prophet out of prison and would have persuaded him to go along with him to Babylon, for that he had been enjoined by the king to supply him with whatsoever he wanted. And if he did not like to do so, he desired him to inform him where he resolved to dwell, and that he might signify the same to the king. But the prophet had no mind to follow him, nor to dwell anywhere else, but would have gladly lived in the ruins of his country and in the miserable remains of it. And when the general understood what his purpose was, he enjoined Gedaliah, 
whom he had left behind to take all possible care of him to supply him with whatever he needed. So that when he had given him rich presents, he dismissed him. Accordingly, Jeremiah abode in a city of that country which was called Mitzpah, and desired of Nebuzaradan that he would live at liberty with his disciple Baruch, the son of Neriah, one of very influential family and exceedingly skillful in the language of his country. Upon his appointment, Nebuzaradan left the country, leaving Gedaliah in charge. By all accounts, Gedaliah was an excellent leader, and his command was to serve Babylon and for the people to cultivate the land. Here was his command that traveled the region, inspiring the survivors to rally together. Gedaliah persuaded them, now that they were there to stay, to stay with him and to have no fear of the Babylonians, for that if they would cultivate the country, they would suffer no harm. This he assured them by oath and said that they should have him for their patron, and that if any disturbance should arise, they should find him ready to defend them. He also advised them to dwell in any city, as every one of them pleased, and that they should send men along with their servants and rebuild their houses upon the foundations and dwell there. And he admonished them beforehand that they should make preparation while the season lasted of corn and wine and oil, that they may whereupon feed during the winter. And he dismissed them that everyone might dwell in what place of the country they pleased. Now when this report was spread abroad as far as the nations that bordered on Judah, that Gedaliah entertained those that came to him after they had fled away upon his only condition that they should pay tribute to the king of Babylon, they also came readily to Gedaliah and inhabited the country. And when Joanna and the rulers that were with him observed the country and the humanity of Gedaliah, they were exceedingly in love with him. See, this Gedaliah is a stud. I mean, he's remarkably good considering this era in time. I mean, they actually said they were exceedingly in love with him. And his name means, I think, God is good or God is great. And, and that's really what he represents. I mean, he has become this beacon for rebuilding. At the same time, there's assassination threats on the horizon. While some were, and most were, exceedingly in love with him, it's a remarkable statement, even for a dry historian to say in this Old Testament era, I mean, that the, the people were exceedingly in love with him. He must have been a really, really benevolent ruler. Now Gedaliah is given a warning that a wicked Israelite from Ammon was out for his life. Mitzpah is close to the border with Ammon, and Ammon was very wicked against Israel previously. Baalus, the king of the Ammonites, sent a man by the name of Ishmael to assassinate Gedaliah. Not heeding the warnings of his people, Gedaliah falls prey to an assassin, and with it, the last Israelite ruler over the land dies. The story goes that Gedaliah knew Ishmael, and they trusted each other, and Gedaliah refused to believe he would assassinate him. Yet Ishmael got him drunk, and Gedaliah really, really, really drunk, and Ishmael assassinated him. Ishmael, this, and these are accounts from Josephus. Most of everything I'm pulling is from Josephus. Ishmael came again to Gedaliah, to the city of Mitzvah, and ten men with him. And when he had feasted with Ishmael and those that were with him in a splendid manner at this table, and he had given him presents, he became disordered in drink. 
while he endeavored to be very merry with him. And when Ishmael saw him in that case, and that he was drowned in his cups to the degree of insensibility and fallen asleep, he rose up on a sudden and with his ten friends slew Gedaliah and those that were with him at the feast. So Ishmael kills Gedaliah in his drunken sleep. Next, Ishmael goes on a killing spree. And now I assume Ishmael has Ammonite soldiers with him at this point. And this was a bit of a secret attack on Mitzpah. More than just an assassination of Gedaliah, but a secret attack on Mitzpah with Ammonite soldiers backing up Ishmael. I mean, this is just a wicked time. I mean, there's, there's so few Israelites left in this region. Um, there's a, a governor who seems to be a beacon of light that wants to rebuild, supported by the Babylonians. He's assassinated by, you know, power-hungry Ammonites and a wicked guy named Ishmael. Um, and it's it's just like the last straw. There, there's just, whoever's left gets taken away. Um, we're going to find even Jeremiah gets swept up in, in this whole episode. So it appears there was hundreds of Jews in Mitzpah. There was hundreds of Babylonians as well in a, in a garrison. Here's what Josephus says, what happens next with Ishmael, uh, most likely with these Ammonite soldiers sneaking in the city. He went up by night and slew all the Jews that were in the city, and those soldiers also which were left therein by the Babylonians. But the next day fourscore men came out of the country with presents to get Eliah, none of them knowing what had befallen him. And when Ishmael saw them, he invited them in to get Eliah. And when they would come in, he shut up the court and slew them, cast their dead bodies down in a certain deep pit. He took captive the people that were in Mitzpah with their wives and children, among whom were the daughters of King Zedekiah, who Nebuzaradan, the general of the army of Babylon, had left with Gedaliah. And when he had done this, he came to the king of the Ammonites. The remaining people of Judah were under the leadership of, of a man named Johanan. And Johanan goes on a rescue mission and recaptures his countrymen. But when Johanan and the rulers with them heard what was done at Mitzpah by Ishmael and of the death of Gedaliah, they had an indignation at it. And every one of them took his own armed men and came suddenly to fight with Ishmael and overtook him at the fountain at Hebron. And when those that were carried away captives by Ishmael saw Johanan and the rulers, they were very glad and looked upon them as coming to their rescue. So they left him that carried them captives and came over to Johanan. Then Ishmael, with eight men, fled to the king of the Ammonites. But Johanan took those whom he had rescued out of the hands of Ishmael and the eunuchs and their wives and children and came to a certain place named Mandra. And there they abode that day, for they had determined to remove from hence and go to Egypt out of fear, lest the Babylonians should slay them, in case they continued in the country, and that out of anger at the slaughter of Gedaliah, all right, so instead of chasing Ishmael, Johanan called off the pursuit, fearing reprisals of the Babylonians, and for good reason. They held a council and desired Jeremiah to pray to God. I mean, if their plan at this point is, um, let's, let's run. You know, like, we're going to get blamed for the murders of the Babylonian soldiers. Um, when the Babylonians show up back here, they're going to come and kill everyone around. Um, the Ammonites are going to say we weren't a part of it, and they're going to blame us, and, and we're going to be the one held accountable, so we're going to go to Egypt. 
But they asked Jeremiah what they should do. And they were patient enough to wait for 10 days for Jeremiah to get an answer. And after 10 days, God appeared to Jeremiah, and he said they should stay in the country. Instead, Johanan, controlled by fear, commanded everyone to go to Egypt, and Johanan even forced Jeremiah and Baruch to go with them. And at this stage, when they make it to Egypt, as far as we know, there are no notable Jews left in Israel. Everyone is gone. And I'm sure there was hundreds of homeless or or just stragglers or maybe even people hiding in caves, but um, there's maybe even insane people walking among the ruins. But generally, there was no leadership and no one of reference that we know of at all in the region. It's sad for Jeremiah because he was now hauled away against his own will to Egypt where eventually Nebuchadnezzar would come and bring another slaughter. And researching more on Gedaliah, there's a fast of Gedaliah that was part of Jewish culture for some time, and it speaks to the last ruler of the first kingdom. His short-term governorship signified the complete end to an era. The temple signifies the death of the kingdom. But the removal of all Jewish authority really is a nail in the coffin. The consequence of this scene will be Nebuchadnezzar appointing no Israelites to rule over Judah and Israel. It basically becomes a wild wasteland filled with ruins and wild animals and very few people. And soon we will learn in some strange way this hides the spiritual truth that the land requires rest, and it will have it during what remains of the 70 years of exile. We end this episode with what happens to the survivors from Judah who disobeyed God and went to Egypt. To imagine Jeremiah, he must have been like, you guys have bound me again, and this time you're taking me to Egypt? This is crazy. But it happened. Here is Josephus' account. And when they were there, God signified to the prophet that the king of Babylon was about to make an expedition against the Egyptians, and it commanding him to foretell to the people that Egypt should be taken, and the king of Babylon should slay some of them and take others captive and bring them to Babylon. All right, so Jeremiah prophesied these horrible things to the survivors in Egypt. Five years afterward, Nebuchadnezzar attacks and starts with Moab and Ammon. For the fifth year after the destruction of Jerusalem, which was the 23rd year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he made an exhibition against Celesyria. And when he had possessed himself of it, he made war against the Ammonites and the Moabites. Imagine this Ishmael guy found his end in this moment. And next the prophecy comes true with Nebuchadnezzar destroying another Egyptian army and ransacking more and more of Egypt. And when he had brought all these nations under subjection, he fell upon Egypt in order to overthrow it. And he slew the king that then reigned, set up another, and he took those Jews that were their captives and led them to Babylon. And such was the end of the nation of the Hebrews, as it hath been delivered down to us, it having twice gone beyond the Euphrates. 
Officially, we have exited the time of kings and prophets and have entered the era of the prophets and empires. Our story changes effective today uh, from any account of kings and prophets to secular world empires and prophets working in their midst. We have heroes of the faith that are coming up. Daniel and Esther. We have world rulers like Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus the Great, Darius, Xerxes. We even have Alexander the Great to speak of further down the road. And there's the, there's the revivalist of Ezra and Nehemiah. We have so much to look forward to. As we head down these roads, please email me with any suggestions or feedback. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.